Hello, and welcome to Nostalgia Arcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we'll look back on the movies, TV, games, people, and phenomena that we still love talking about all these years later, and ask ourselves why these bits of pop culture still enchant us today. This week, we'll be revisiting... 1,000 years ago, superstition and the sword ruled. It was a time of darkness. It was a world of fear. It was the age of gargoyles. Stone by day, warriors by night. We were betrayed by the humans we had sworn to protect, frozen in stone by a magic spell for a thousand years. Now here in Manhattan, the spell is broken, and we live again. We are defenders of the night. We are gargoyles. You just heard Keith David's Goliath explain the premise behind 1994's Gargoyles, a unusually adult cartoon for the Walt Disney Corporation that I am very excited to revisit because it's been a long time since I thought about this one, but I remember loving the crap out of it when I was a teenager. So uh, you have my guest to thank for this pick. You've heard her before talking about 90s cartoons. That's that's what we bring her in here for, apparently. So uh, please welcome back to the podcast, my sister, Amy Baum. Hi. So, uh, Amy, why did you pick Gargoyles for this episode? Well, I just remember loving this cartoon so much. So, I mean, of course, you know, as 90s kids, the Disney afternoon was kind of a staple. And I would say probably this and Darkwing Duck were probably my top two, my favorite two. DuckTales definitely being a close third. And I probably watched a bunch of these, but there was something about Gargoyles, especially because by the time Gargoyles came out, I was in middle school. The fact that it was kind of darker, it was edgier, I could appreciate that more. And I loved, you know, I could recognize a lot of the, you know, Shakespeare references and um, I'm a history buff, so I got into the historical part of it. And then I think at the time I could just kind of identify with them being... I guess outsiders being different, you know, my middle school experience was not great. So, I mean, I could just sort of, there was something about, you know, just identifying with them being different and being the other that I just kind of spoke to me at the time. Yeah, you you pinged on a bunch of things that I I think are compelling about the show as well, Uh, you know, and we'll get into a lot of those details, you know, their, 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 their status as outsiders, the the interesting way in which this show heavily just borrows from Shakespeare and history and reinterpolates that stuff is really cool and, and unique to this show. And I, I certainly have fond memories of watching it. You mentioned the Disney afternoon of which was, this was part, we did do a DuckTales episode. And at the time I remember thinking about, okay, well the Disney afternoon is DuckTales and rescue Rangers and tailspin and Darkwing duck and then there was like that bonkers show. And then there was, you know, a few others. And I had completely forgotten that, that Gargoyles was part of the Disney afternoon at one point. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's so different from everything else in there. This is the only show that they ever did that was this, you know, 
level of dark and edgy. Um, so there, there's a lot of things that make this show very unique for a Disney property, and even just among cartoons in general. It's it's very un- different from most of the things you would watch uh, in, in the Disney afternoon. I remember in terms of like nostalgic memories, working really hard to try and draw these characters because I thought their designs were so cool. And then to try and get, uh, create my own sort of gargoyle designs based on this artwork because it's it's extremely they're they're all extremely complicated looking characters that must be very must have been very difficult to animate. Oh, absolutely. And I know they sent a lot of these cartoons overseas and I mean of course they tried to send I think the studio in Japan probably got a lot of their best um animation. And of course these shows like they had to get like I don't know however many ep- episodes in like a short amount of time. I can't confirm it for this show, but there is a Japanese studio called uh, Tokyo Movie Shinjo, and or TMS that you will see on a lot of '90s cartoons. They are most famous for being the Japanese studio behind the movie Akira, this seminal anime work uh, that is just this exceptionally animated, well animated film and highly regarded and, and influential and, and all of that, but. They were financially in a little bit of trouble in the 90s or the late 80s. So they started taking this moonlighting work from America, which included working on a lot of uh, these Disney shows. Uh, they did work on Batman, the animated series. And so often, you know, they didn't do all of the show, but sometimes you look in like some of their best episodes of those shows or like some of the most interesting detailed animation work. Uh, it's because of them. Absolutely. I think like anything that went to Japan or Disney Australia had to have been like some of the best animated shows on the Disney uh, Disney afternoon. Yeah, I wonder if that's just because of those studios were like hungry to prove themselves too. like, see, see, we can do this. We can take your gargoyle character and have him do this crazy tumbling animation and then climb back up a building. Here you go. <laughs> uh, but we should talk about, uh, you know, the, the premise of the show, like the characters, like the as you heard in the intro, they are. Stone by day, warriors by night. Uh, and it's just a really cool concept. Like, I don't think anyone, I mean, the, the idea of something that turns into a monster at night or, you know, or comes you know, or monsters that wake up at night, that's not new. That, that's as old as dirt. But this version of it is really unique and fun. Absolutely. I mean, and to bring them that these medieval warriors find a way, a really cool way to bring them into a modern world. And they adapt to the modern world pretty easily i'm glad you said that because i because we watched the the fir- the five parter which is like the first five episodes of the show are basically one story uh, the telling the 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 basic outline of how they were um cursed in the late 900s and uh, revived in the 90s and yeah if they had spent too much time on this fish out of water stuff it would be really like just taxing after a while just like okay we get it he doesn't know what a hot dog is okay but they they move past that fairly quickly because i think the show would be, would drag if it if it was uh bogged down with that too much oh absolutely do you, now we, i guess we should run through the characters i did you notice uh, this is the first time i went back to it and noticed like basically they are the ninja turtles I saw the parallel, and I, yeah, I actually did watch the 87 Ninja Turtles back in the day, probably when I was about, I don't know, seven years old, around that time. Um, yeah, but I think they do try to 
make them somewhat distinguished. Like, you know, when they eat the food, like they think they're very, it sounds like they're, seems like they're very careful not to have them eat pizza for one thing. Uh, yeah, you're right. I've never seen, I never see them eat pizza in the show, but like just in terms of personality, right? It's like Hudson taught them to be gargoyle teens, Goliath leads, Lexington does machines. Uh, Brooklyn's cool but rude, and Broadway is a party dude. Like that's it's fairly that's kind of true. Yeah. And then they, of course they have their own little gargoyle dog. <laughs> Which okay, so here's my question about Bronx the dog, quote unquote dog. Is he considered a separate species of gargoyle? Like it'd be um, like because I thought it was like a human wouldn't give birth to a dog, but like they, these they come from eggs, right? The, the gargoyle yeah. they, they establish that they they lay eggs. And just some of the eggs just, like, hatch into the dog ones that don't talk? Um, so I sent you that, um, I did send you the podcast, uh, Voices from the Eerie, and I don't know if they talk about it on this, or if you go on, like, their wiki page, I think, like, the dogs are called Gargates. So they're like a version of gargoyles. I, it just seems so weird. Like, imagine, like, every once in a while, like, you know, you go into the hospital and the lady goes, oh, is a boy or a girl? It's like, oh, nope, it's a puppy. Because <laughs> you know, because they, they do establish so the the eggs right there's this clutch of gargoyle eggs that are not they're thought to be possibly destroyed in the 900s um, but it turns out they were spirited away and uh, to somewhere to be kept safe and when uh, in this set of Avalon episodes they go to this the mystical Arthur oh, that's another thing they bring in Arthurian legend but they go to the the island of Avalon uh, this from uh, from King Arthur myth. And there they find their long-lost gargoyle hatchlings, which includes, uh, you know, one of these gargates, right? The the dog ones. Right. So, again, implying that he hatched from the same clutch of eggs as all of the, like, bipedal sentient ones. Yeah, maybe there's just a certain time when they're in heat and they mate. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> It depends on what you eat before you lay the egg. It's like, oh, that's going to be a dog. Uh, anyway, <laughs> you can get off of this weird tangent. So of the of the main gargoyles, do you have a favorite character? Hmm. Of the main gargoyles? Let's see. I guess of the heroes. Um, I don't know. I love Brooklyn. Brooklyn is just so cool. Ouch. Ouch. How many times are you going to try that? Until you figure out a way to get us out of this. Ouch. Ouch. Hey, you know, I'm getting tired of this. Did, did you just see how the lights dimmed when you did that? Oh, sorry. No, I was too busy writhing in agony to notice. And then, of course, they bring Angela in later, and I always liked her. <laughs> Yeah, Brooklyn is engineered to be cool for sure. Like when I when I booted it up on Disney Plus, the image you see is Brooklyn in a leather jacket riding a motorcycle. On a motorcycle, yeah, which he does in an episode. Okay, I figured he must do it in some episode. I don't remember noticing it, but it was like, oh, that he looks like the, the image sort of looks like the uh, Meatloaf "Bat Out of Hell" album cover. Mm -hmm. It's like super metal, like even more metal than the show naturally is. They're they're also good natured and sweet. You know, I, I really like them. Yeah, um, like Brooklyn so, is like so cool, but he has a good heart. You can tell. Yeah, Bro Brooklyn is cool. I, I oh, his voice actor is Jeff Bennett, who is one of these guys. It's just like he's every voice in everything. He's just so right. prolific. And, 
And he's other characters in Gargoyles, too. He's Owen, and he's the Magus, among others. Yeah, that makes sense. Broadway, uh, who's a lot of fun. I, I like him. Um, his mm-hmm. voice actor is... Uh, God, I can't pronounce that guy's name. But he's Patrick Starfish from SpongeBob. Mm-hmm. And once you hear it, like, you can't unhear it. It's that big, stupid voice that he does. And it, Bill Faberbaki? I can't Fogerbaki, something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, but he, like, uh, he, I thought they did a lot to give him way more pathos than I thought um, he was capable of. Like, in that episode where Elisa is, he accidentally shoots Elisa with her own gun. That's a uh, big episode. That's, yeah. Um, and that's, and I think TV Guide actually mentioned that one, and it got banned from syndication when, like, Toon Disney showed, like, reruns of these shows back in, like, I don't know, like, the early aughts. Really? I mean, because of the gun violence? Yeah, but it's like, okay, you kind of missed the point. The point was, the point of the episode was about, you know, gun safety and being, and the fact that guns aren't toys. Right. That was, I was yeah, going to say, like, yeah. it's the opposite of glorifying gun violence. He does it and he feels the whole episode is about how guilt ridden he is for nearly killing her. And, and I mean, and you yeah. really see how sensitive he is. I mean, because in the five part awakening episode, they sort of show him as like, oh, he's the big dumb guy who likes to eat. But then you see like how, you know, you see he's very sensitive and good natured and yeah i mean he and he actually really owns up to he owns up to the fact that he accidentally shoots elisa i mean yeah i i i think though i still i mean even though it's kind of the easy choice my favorite is goliath um oh who doesn't love goliath yeah, I, I always gravitate to these kind of leader characters that are sort of sage, but have strength beneath when called upon. He reminds mm-hmm. me of like Captain Picard in that way. Like he's mm-hmm. got that same kind of noble bearing and like wisdom that that I gravitate towards. Plus, again, Keith David is his voice actor. How amazing is Keith David? Oh, yeah. No, you hear that voice. It's so distinct. And I think um, that podcast I sent you, Voices from the Erie, they talked about they auditioned a lot of people for Goliath before they got to Keith David. And I think at one point they were even considering Patrick Stewart and he wanted too much money. Um, But yeah, I can't imagine anyone other than Keith David playing Goliath. Well, he's got that like capability of like roaring too. And if you don't know who Keith Keith David is, um, gosh, he's been around forever. Uh, Another big notable voice role for him. He's Dr. Facilier in Princess and the Frog. He's the, he's the bad guy in that. And of course, you know, one of his most famous roles is uh, one of his earliest ones. It might have been his first movie role uh, is opposite Kurt Russell in John Carpenter's The Thing. He's the he's the last man along with Kurt Russell. He's the last man, question mark, standing uh, in that movie. And of course, he's great. In, and he's been great in a million other things. But God, that voice, man, like it just it put you to sleep. It's like a kitten purring. It's incredible. But then he has that capacity when he has those moments where he's just, he's so angry and he gets dark. Like when he, in the Awakening episode, when he confronts the captain and um, Hakon and, you know, he wants to kill them. And of course, you know, he, they fall, they just fall to their death. He doesn't get to do it. And that anger when he says he's been denied his revenge is just so powerful. All the humans are gone, taken prisoner most likely. Then we will find them. We will save the humans. And we will have our revenge!
denied everything, even my revenge. Well, and he got, he does that like roar that is like so like I, kind of iconically just like that is what a screaming gargoyle would sound like. Um, mm-hmm. that, like they use that and it's in the intro, right? It's just hit that shot of him on this parapet going like, um, it's, it's great. I'll, I'll, well, I guess you heard it cause I put in the intro, uh, in the intro. So it's, it's just some incredible voice acting from him. Uh, and then, uh, gosh, who else is left? We haven't talked to, we haven't touched on Lexington who I forget his voice actor's name. He sort of sounds like Piglet from Winnie the Pooh. He's got this very kind of soft voice and he's the the small one his wings are also different than everybody else too like the the others all have like wings that grow out of their back and he's like a flying squirrel like they're they're sort of like attached to his arms and his legs right and then of course he's sort of like the donatello he's the one that is very interested in machines and how things work and you know he really adapts to the modern world so easily because he you know he's the one that can figure out the computers and uh, fix, you know, he builds a helicopter and does all these, all these cool things he, with machines. He, he builds a helicopter? I don't remember that. There's, well, there's an episode where he crashes a helicopter and rebuilds it. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's definitely in keeping with, like, the Donatello mold. The police can have them after I'm through with them. Look, Lex, I know how you feel. You trusted them and they used you. Nearly got you and Goliath killed. I feel the same way every time somebody mentions Demona. But you can't let it consume you. You need to remember what's really important. Family, protecting our home. You have your priorities, and I have mine. I gotta tell you, Lex, you're starting to worry me. Look. Guess it's a no-show. I'm checking it out. Come on, Bronx. No sense staying up here where it's safe. And I like it, but not only that, I mean, yes, he has those wings and he will glide they do talk about all of them it's like they they can't exactly fly they glide then they glide com- on currents of wind yeah yeah and that kind of comes up from time to time like they're not just like they can't just like flap away and do everything they want whenever they want they do have to sort of it's at least a little bit tied to real world uh, physics and uh, that just leaves hudson who is ed asner doing mm-hmm. a, a great scottish brogue there Again, like maybe the only actor you could find with like a more gravelly, like leader sounding voice than uh, than Keith David. Right. But he's sort of he's the grandfather of the group. Well, I think it's implied that he was the leader before Goliath. right? Before Goliath. Goliath was his second in command. And then eventually, you know, he steps down and Goliath took over at some point. Yeah. Ed Asner, again, I mean, legendary actor who, you know, uh, voice performance he's the old man and up but he was on the mary tyler moore show and just a million things um so you have him and uh that's the main group of heroes you have demona and kind of moving she's sort of a hero sort of a villain they kind of keep moving her back and forth as need be Um, i mean for all intents and purposes she's a villain and she's probably you know i would say one of my favorite villains in the show They hold each other's lives completely without worth. Do you really think they would accept us with open arms? No. And this is not the worst of it. We must make Goliath see the truth. Humanity will never trust or accept us. But not all humans are like that. Elisa is our friend. Perhaps the policewoman is the exception that proves the rule. 
But can she keep you safe from the rest of humanity? Only we can protect each other, Brooklyn. We must be united and strong, and willing to deal with the humans as they would deal with us. Goliath thinks we can hide in their midst like mice and hope for their understanding. This is not possible. Remember what happened to Goliath and Lexington? They were hunted like animals because Lexington trusted the pack. How did you know? If you think I'm wrong, then show yourself to them. Very wise, my young friend. They would shoot you down like a dog. They definitely make her very layered and complex. Uh, and certainly, like, from, you know, it's very hard to know what her true motivations are, other than that she's very spiteful. Um, you know, she, right. just hates, but that, she just hates humans. But that comes from a place of guilt, because, I mean, you find out she was the one who was responsible for the portrayal of the clan. She makes that deal with the captain. And, of course, a lot of that is, you know, deep down, she knows she's responsible. She has that guilt, but she can't face that and i mean basically humanity is her scapegoat and she just wants she blames the humans for all her suffering when really she brought most of her suffering and misery on herself yeah which is very hard obviously to acknowledge she uh, uh played by mariana Sirtis, uh, deanna troy from star trek the next generation and as long as we're on that subject there's a lot of star trek the next generation folks uh rattling around the gargoyle studio because you have jonathan frakes commander Riker. As Xanatos, their less than trustworthy benefactor, who uh, he so he's responsible. So the, the curse they're under is they're going to be stoned forever until their castle is above the clouds. And so Xanatos, this uh, wealthy uh, magnate, literally moves the castle brick by brick to the top of this Manhattan high rise to fulfill this spell break it, uh, set them free, and he continues to let them live there rent-free on top of his uh, his high-rise. But he's... It's interesting. Like, no matter how untrustworthy he is, they do stay with Castle Wyvern. Actually, they don't. They live... Oh. In, um No, they um, leave... They live up on the... Because um, after he's... A, no, he, they go to the clock tower that's above um, the police station where Elisa um, works. Oh, they do eventually leave Castle Wyvern. Okay. Yeah, and then I think at the end of uh, the season, season two, they do go back to okay. the castle. Because the clock in the third, uh, those three final episodes of season two, Hunter's Moon, the clock tower is destroyed. Okay. Uh, that makes more sense. Because, yeah, Xanatos, you, you cannot trust him at all. <laughs> the truth is that my men repelled an invasion by a rival corporation trying to steal some of our new technology. <gasps> repelled an invasion... You're a private citizen, Xanatos, not a country. Detective, I am the owner of a multinational corporation, which is bigger than many countries you could name. And he's just such a cool villain. He's not like that typical mustache-twisting villain. Like, um, even if he somehow they, you know, foil a plan, like somehow there's always that, oh, but this actually benefited me in some way, so it's a win. Yeah, I love how he does that. Like, no matter what happens... He he's a, finds a way to, like, use his, like, wits to say, well, actually, you did a good thing, everybody. I'm still the good guy, and everything turned out for the better. Even though what happened was just to directly benefit him and whatever his horrible machinations are. Yeah, and then also the fact, I like that he he never holds a grudge against the gargoyles. No, it's just like he's so, like, he's so happy to keep them kind of, 
close and occasionally doing what he needs them to do. He's just like, yeah, like his in terms of his like intensity, it's interesting. Like the needle never goes above like a three in terms of like you never see him like freaking out or yelling or anything. He's always calm. Yeah, he very is. He kind of has a yeah, he's comes off as very charming when you first meet him. I mean, you know, you can't trust him. Like one thing I love about Elisa, like Elisa just knows right off the bat, like she can see through his bullshit. Yeah, Elisa is uh, she's a NYPD detective, and she is the the April O'Neil to continue our Ninja Turtles um, comparison here. And she you know helps them out. She introduces them to the modern world and is their protector. Sometimes you know quite literally saving their lives, and um, yeah, she's she's their connection to the human world, especially because they can't rely on Xanatos and these other people. Um, but I do want to mention Owen because I just find him funny that this is this is uh, Xanatos's Smithers, and mm-hmm. he's like he's like a, a mega Smithers. I was so close to finding out if the legend was true. Now there's no one to test it on. Allow me, sir. It would appear that the cauldron spell of immortality has a price. Yes. What was the legend? Whoever bathes in it will live as long as the mountain stones. How literal minded. Thank you, Owen. That'll be all. Oh, yeah. I mean, not to. He's not like in love with Xanatos the way Smithers is in love with Mr. Burns, but yeah. And then, well, of course, he's not later a comic. on. You... Yeah, he's right. not he's not so played for laughs, but like no. yeah, he does have this voice. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, very straight man. And then of course, ironically, you find out later that um he's actually Puck. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. So, Puck, uh again, Shakespeare characters start popping up here and we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, Puck is played by Brent Spiner. Uh, Data from Star Trek The Next Generation. I told you there's a lot of them rattling around here, and he's he's a big one. So uh, when that stuff starts, that stuff doesn't really start coming in heavily until season two, although Macbeth, I believe, shows up in season one. Yeah. And he is the historical Scottish King Macbeth. And I think the um, the conceit for the show is that all of Shakespeare's plays are about, these are, these are the real-life people that Shakespeare was writing about. Right, like because like the um, for Midsummer Night's Dream, you get Puck, Titania, and Owen, and they're you know, shapeshifters and they're magical creatures, and Oberon's like the king of like Avalon of Avalon, and all, and, and the, a lot of like the legendary folk. characters. Yeah, and a lot of legendary characters are these shapes. Then different cultures are these shapeshifters. Yeah, they I think they call them at one point the third race. So there's humans, yeah. gargoyles, and these people. Who, yeah, again, are these magical shapeshifters. Uh, and, uh, but you, again, you also have these other Shakespearean figures. So you have Macbeth, the Scottish king. You also have the witches, a.k.a. the weird sisters from mm-hmm. Macbeth. They they are prominently featured. You've got, yeah, I mentioned King Arthur is in it. Uh, yeah, you have a little, one. you have a little bit of Othello because they have the whole thing with Coldstone, um, where he's the cyber, the cyborg gargoyle. With, like, the multiple personalities with, like, you know, it's him and, like, three, two other gargoyles in his head. And there's a bit of a, there's one episode where they kind of show, like, that Othel, that kind of Othello plot where Iago says, hey, you know, Goliath is betraying you um, um, with, you know, your girlfriend. 
I never really got into that aspect of the show. That wasn't really my favorite. Just because you didn't know Othello that well? That, I maybe. <laughs> it's a good play. Um, it's, it's a great one. Um, yeah, well, also you have Demona, which is kind of a nod to Desdemona from that. Um, although De- the she Desdemona... Kind of fulfill- yeah, Sorry. Ahead. I mean, I was going to say Demona fulfills more of a Lady Macbeth kind of role. I was going to say Desdemona in Othello is not a villain. That's kind of the point. She's not cheating on him. And he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's she's been true and honest the entire time. And he just, he's so suspicious. He can't not see that when he looks at her. Um, mm-hmm. But still, I think you have, you know, there, there's they're trying to make that nod early by borrowing that name. Although it's also more like demon, uh, you know. Than, I think that was the point. Because the in the scene where Macbeth, gives her the name like you see before she says he says to her you fight like a demon yeah and then the daughter of course is angela 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 (laughs) yeah oh that's the other thing about their names which is weird that like so i guess culturally gargoyles don't have names unless they they decide to start using a nickname that a human gives them so I guess that's just the, I'm sure they just wrote that because they had this fun idea of giving them all these New York names. Mm-hmm. But it, it, I just found that to be like, you can't have a society where people don't have names. Like you can't. What are you going to do? Oh, could you go tell give me a, give a message to so and so? You can't do that if you don't know their name or we can say go get the fat blue one. You know. <laughs> Right, but it's interesting how Hudson explains it from a gargoyle's perspective, and he says, like, why do you humans have to name everything? Why do you have to give everything limits? I guess, but also, it, it'd be very fumbling if you couldn't actually, like, describe what you wanted. Exactly, <laughs> so. like, how they ask, like, how do you tell each other apart? And even when Goliath and Elisa come to um, Avalon and they meet, they're hatchlings, and Goliath's like, oh, you gave them names, and Angela's just like, well, yeah, how could you tell us apart? And, of course, the difference there is culturally, I mean, the gargoyles on Avalon were raised by humans. Right, right. And and Avalon, in the, sh- in the show's mythology, it, it is the Arthurian island, but it has this added uh, twist that it's uh, out of time. So that, that it's slower. Yeah, that time passes on Avalon very slow, compared to the rest of the world. So all of these people that they knew in the 900s are older, but, you know, they're obviously not dead. They're, you know, right, they're just... so it's sort of, it was sort of like a plot device to keep those characters alive a thousand years Of course, years later. yeah. I mean, although they could have just easily employed some kind of time travel. You know, the, they're writing magical rules, so... Right, but they, they already have they have the Phoenix Gate, which is sort of the time travel. And it's the time travel rules on Gargoyles are interesting. It's always like history can't be changed. And, of course, even when people go back in time with the Phoenix Gate, it's like, well, yeah, it happened. That's how it was supposed to happen. Yeah, well, so you there's that, ep, that episode arc that takes place on Avalon involving, what's his name, the Grand Magus? The, the Archmage. Archmage, thank you. Um, I liked that because you watched him like, He's basically being tutored by a future version of himself that has, you know, gathered these magical objects and now has all of this magical strength that his younger self did not. And you watch him like he has to, like, walk him through acquiring this stuff and learning how to use it and then go back. And you actually see this moment in time from earlier in the episode where instead of being, you know, now now he's the 
the one who's about to go back in time and do the thing you just saw for his younger self. And so I thought that was, you know, as a little time loop, that was pretty cool. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And of course they use that in um, other shows as, as other episodes as well. Um, Vows um, where um, Xanatos gets married. That really centers around the Phoenix gate. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's a few other, there's a few magical goo-gahs in play. You've got the Phoenix Gate, there's the Eye of Odin, bringing in Norse mythology. And that just, as far as I understand, the Eye of Odin is just like mega magical power, right? It's sort of like, I think the way they explain is it like, it makes you like kind of an inner manifestation, it makes you like a bigger version of yourself. So there's an episode where uh, Fox wears it, it's, it's Xanatos' engagement present to her. And she becomes like a werewolf fox type creature. There's that one. Of course, the Avalon episodes where the Archmage has it. And then on um, they have the episodes where it's Goliath, Elisa, Angela, and Bronx. Or they, tr- you know, Avalon sends them to all these different places all over the world. And there is an episode where they go to Norway and meet Odin. And in that one, Goliath wears the eye. And what happens to him? Um, he just sort of becomes like a bigger protector. Like he's like doing all these kind of awful things and he's like, he puts him in a cave and he's like from storms and he's like, oh, I'm protecting you from the storms. And it's like, he's the one who's doing it. And yeah, of course they have to kind of get through to him to get him to be like, you know, take that thing off. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a classic arc for sure. Mm-hmm. Is the, the person has to give up their power, which they are inadvertently ab- abusing. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the other one is the the Nostalgia Marcana. No, the the book. Um, what's it called? Gr- the Grimorum. The Grimorum. It's it's like two words though. It's like the Grimorum Arcanorum. Grimorum Arcanorum. Yeah. yeah, it's a spell book. Right, just a spell book, which apparently you can just eat, and uh, <laughs> and uh, as the Archmage does. I, I found that so funny because I did not remember this. So the rule is, of course, you can't bring this. You book can't bring onto it onto Avalon, Avalon but he and bends so- the rule by just eating it. <laughs> But the animation on that is so funny because, like, it's just, it's just this, like, this jaw just goes, like, like, open way wide and he just <laughs> shoves it in. It's, it, like, without chewing. It's very funny. Yeah, they anyway. got some interesting animation like that in other episodes. <laughs> yeah, and again, like, the, the quality of this animation is so high given the, the complexity of the Gargoyles' designs. Um, we, we've talked we've talked around this a little bit, but that the the writing is grittier here, and I was like, you know, I bet this owes a debt in some way to Batman the animated series because that show was you know pushing a much darker um, cartoon vibe for that was still you know accessible to kids, and of course come to learn that the two writers behind a lot of it uh, the the Reeveses both mm-hmm. worked on that show before they started Gargoyles. It was like, oh, of course, there's your connection. No wonder. Right. And I, I don't know that these these episodes, are they do have more in common the way they're written with things like Ninja Turtles than, than Batman, which Batman would be these, like, you know, very almost... They could be funny and weird, but usually they were very somber affairs that were almost like Twilight Zone episodes where there was, like, you know, a sad little twist at the end. And that's not this show. Not really. I mean, you had a few episodes that could kind of end on sort of a down note, but most of them it was like, okay, yeah, we saved the day in some way. And even the villain, like Xanatos, could be like, oh, well, this worked for my benefit. Yeah, we've talked about, uh, you know, some of the key villains, Demona and um, Xanatos. I guess we should talk now about Puck and the, the fair folk. 
because Puck right. is definitely, I mean, they're villains, or at least they're, they're highly chaotic, even if they're not exactly evil. I mean, Oberon, I think, eventually does kind of, I mean, he tries to steal Xanatos' baby, so. That's very fairy, uh, par for the course stuff, is fairy stealing babies. But, like, yeah. Puck is, like, so they, they really borrow from Shakespeare the idea that, like, well, he's a trickster. And whatever you tell him to do, he's gonna, it's, it's always a monkey's paw wish with him. And so in that episode about the mirror, where Demona, this is kind of a big one. So Demona wants to, I forget what she's trying to do, but the end result is all the gargoyles are turned into humans, and all of the humans in New York are turned into gargoyles. Well, let's just get this over with, shall we? How can I be of service? Huh? Out with it, I haven't got all night. You've got all millennium if I choose. I'm too vulnerable during the day. I don't want to turn to stone anymore. Of course, you want to stroll down Fifth Avenue in the sunshine. I'm sure you'll fit right in. I could if there were no blasted humans. Yes, Puck. I want you to get rid of the humans. All of them. Does this look like Aladdin's lamp? I have limits, after all. What is it you really want? How quaint. After all these centuries, you're still carrying a torch. Well, if that's what you want, I can make him love you again. Piece of cake. Given your charming personality. That's it. That's what I want. If you cannot get rid of all the humans, then at least rid me of that human. Elisa Maza. Did you say that human or that human? Oh, never mind. I'll figure it out. Of course, she wants to get rid of the humans. And of course, he's like, hey, come on. I Even I have limits. So eventually, it's like um, she says, oh, well, if you can't get rid of all humans, at least get rid of Elisa Maza. Because she, you know, obviously she hates Elisa. She knows that there's, I mean, the relationship between Goliath and Elisa, and Elisa there's a lot of sexual tension there. Um, so of course, um, Puck being the trickster turns her into a gargoyle and then she's like, okay, fine, do that to all the humans. So she, he turns them into gargoyles and then she's pissed off and she says, turn them to humans. So then he turns Goliath and his clan to humans. Yeah. It's all, you know, like this, like cascading series of, like I said, monkeys, Paul wishes, right? Where it's like, that's mm-hmm. not what I asked for. You know, he's like, oh, but you said it's a lot of that stuff. But it, it lets you know, like, how powerful he is that he can just, with a snap of a finger, transform everyone into New, in New York into a different species. All right. I mean, that was just one of the best episodes in terms of, like, seeing, like, you know, they're about being seen as the other. Like, it's interesting when they change or sort of an amnesia effect where, like, Elisa changes into a gargoyle and she's like, Goliath, you've changed. And they're like, no, you changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was an interesting. They They didn't. They didn't have to add that, but it's an interesting little complication because that same thing happens to them too. And they're like, "Oh, what do you mean? We've always been human." I like the the. It was interesting that the the human designs for the gargoyles. Like, what would they look like if they were humans? Um, I think those are pitch perfect. Oh yeah, because I think they were trying to model them off of the voice actors to a certain extent. That makes sense. Sure. Although, I mean, Goliath is like. I mean, Keith David is a, uh, you know, a strapping man, uh, but, but right. Goliath is this, like, he looks more like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he's, there's a, you know, he's this 
huge. Well, I mean, they have to keep the long black hair. And then they also matched, um, they matched his skin tone, the skin tone to Elisa's. I know Keith David is African-American and Elisa, which is one thing is noteworthy is that she was probably one of the first lead, like women of color in a cartoon. And not only that, she's biracial her, you know, she's part native American, part African-American. Yeah. I was, I was very surprised to see that. I didn't realize that until that episode where she gets shot and her family comes to meet her at the hospital. I was like, that's a bold choice for 1995. Right. And then also the, and all the voice actress who voiced Elisa was, um, you know, same part native American part oh. African American. Well, there, there's your answer. I'm sure they probably, mm-hmm. you know, did that to be respectful to her or to, you know, just like, Oh, that's a cool thing to do to like, um, honor your heritage that way. Uh, mm-hmm. You mentioned you, you had a lot of notes on this, so uh, let me kind of hand it over to you a little bit. If there was something you wanted specifically to focus on. Um, in the in the mirror, specifically? Any episode. I mean, I just know you took a lot of notes, so I didn't know if there was like a, a subject you wanted to do a deep dive on. Um, I'm, I'm happy to go with you. Okay. Um, well, I know I, mentioned, I kind of suggested certain episodes for certain reasons. I definitely, um, the City of Stone... Um, episodes those four episodes they're so important for Demona, just seeing Demona's backstory and particularly the story with Macbeth the fact that you know they you know become a more you know the Moored sisters make them immortal and they're essentially bound to each other they you know feel each other's pain the only way they can die is if one kills the other and then it's kind of interesting when you get to the Avalon episodes and it was sort of like really you just did all of that just so you know However many hundreds of years later, they could sort of be pawns in, you know, when the Archmage trying to get, you know, get Avalon and have them get Avalon back. As and he's a, he is the one that lays that spell on them, right? The 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 um, one has to kill the other spell. Oh, right? that's the the weird sisters do it. Oh, the weird sisters do it. Well, they they're also you know kind of playing this long con with mm-hmm. them, um, and it's great because when you when they first reveal Demona in the you know the five-part awakenings stuff it's you know she lies about how long she's been alive um you know she just says oh well uh xanatos woke me up first before waking up the rest of you and in reality she is the one who probably told him exactly you know go to the castle bring it you know give him gave him all the instructions as to how to bring back her clan Right. I mean, and you can tell she's lying pretty easily because when they have to, they go like to, to get that quote, the disc back, you know, take it back for Xanatos. And it's clearly, it's obvious like she's pretty, com- she's too competent in the modern world to have just been woken up. But also that they have the restraint to not show all those cards. We, I mean, one thing we, we've, we've been, we haven't really said it outright, which is that this is serialized storytelling. That right. None of the other, uh, uh, cartoons we mentioned really do even batman the animated series um there are a handful of things that are you know will persist in that show so like once harvey dent becomes two-face he's two-face for the rest of the run of the show but um but there's not it's not like each episode of batman it feeds off of the previous one and certainly not for stuff like ducktales Right. So this is a big choice for them to say, no, no, you've got to watch these episodes in order to the degree where each episode starts with a last time on. All right. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, we want to start at the beginning and then you want to go all the way to the end. I remember that being frustrating when I was watching it, you know, back on when it was on TV because it was on every day as part of the Disney afternoon. And if you missed it, you just had to 
you know, yeah, wait till that episode aired again. Hard to, yeah, several hard months. to catch every day in middle school. And then also the fact that in, in 1995, episodes were preempted by the OJ trial. I was going to say, this was something, OJ killed uh, two people and gargoyles. <laughs> More or less. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, they did keep preempting things because it was, because it was in the middle of the afternoon and uh, maybe not on the East Coast, but certainly here on the West Coast. Uh, because I would imagine a, a trial on the West Coast would be over. Well, no, actually, no, that would not work. It would be the other way around. It would it would be the trial would be well underway here while uh, it was afternoon in on the East. So yeah, you're right. The the OJ trial absolutely would have killed anything that was on TV at that time because we just had to know: Did he really do it? What do you think, Amy? Did O.J. Simpson really <laughs> kill those people? I don't know. I'm pretty sure at the time I thought he did it. I'm pretty sure he did it. Yeah. But, I mean, he did Probably, write that wonderful yeah. book, If I Did It. <laughs> anyway, we, we digress. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, that, that did make it harder to watch. Um, are there any other big villains we haven't really touched on? We haven't talked about Macbeth too much, but he's, like, I'm not even sure what his goal is because he's not the one who sacks the castle at the beginning of the series and kills all most of the gargoyles. I think mainly his thing is he's mainly his beef is with Demona and he's clearly suicidal. Like he wants to die. And he's, well, he's tired of being alive for a thousand years. I have hunted you through the centuries for my vengeance. Take off that mask. You aren't fooling anyone, Macbeth. I wear this as a reminder of your treachery. Let's not start that again. You blame me, I blame you. Aren't you tired of talking about it? I'm not here to talk. Then what? You know the rules. Killing me will gain you nothing but your own death. After this long a lifetime, I have no fear of that and no desire to live in the kind of world you're creating. Revenge is a dish best eaten cold, Demona. And I have waited 900 years for this meal. Right, especially you see in City of Stone, like, Demona kind of caused his misery too. I mean, he was forced to essentially, like, you know, he had to essentially leave his wife and... He lost his kingdom and he had to leave his wife and child. Yeah. Uh... And, oh, who's his voice actor? That's another big somebody. John Rhys-Davies. John Rhys-Davies, thank you. Of course, Gimli from Lord of the Rings and Sala mm-hmm. from Indiana Jones. Um, I always like, whenever we have a voice actor, I like to kind of name check things that they're in because you may not know um, who they are without seeing their face. But, um, yeah, uh, great performance from him as always. He's got that wonderful, just booming voice that's uh, one of a kind. Right, and then um, you had you have to- he's not in too many episodes, but Tony Drake on who you meet in Deadly Force. Yeah, the, he's like a street gang kind of guy. Pretty much, it's like the typical like New York crime boss. So you'd, you'd feel like this is probably the type of scumbag that Elisa probably deals with on a daily basis in her job. It's funny to see the um, media conception of gangs and how that has changed over time, especially from the eighties. Um, in and this kind of carries over this idea of like it's all kind of like that movie The Warriors. Usually, it's always like these highly themed gangs of guys that are like we're just out for a good time, <laughs> woohoo! Like that's the gang, 
and it's not literally they never seem like guys that will carjack and kill you um they just they're these like threatening uh themed cartoon gangs uh mm-hmm. slight sneak preview for our upcoming episode on adventures and babysitting they make an appearance there um <laughs> but yeah like it's it's just a funny thing to me that like the gangs they go up against because there's a few times that they're foiling carjackers in fact i think in the mirror episode there's a uh, an attempted mugging or carjacking and it, it's these three dudes these sort of like rocksteady and bebop guys that are like i think they're in the that the awakenings pilot episodes as Awakenings. well i think they're in the first um episode of the avalon episodes too yeah okay so these these like mugs keep coming back for more yeah uh, any other uh, uh big characters or episodes you want to touch on that we haven't touched on yet i did want to talk a little bit about the world tour because i do like yeah. those episodes where they do go to different countries and of course they're like they find like different children of Oberon where it's like they go to Ireland and they find, you know, they're up against the Banshee or um, there's one where they go to Arizona. They're dealing with Coyote from Indian legend. Um, The one I actually watched was Sanctuary. And the reason I watched it is because um, of the, it had Thalog. Right. Who is the, uh, of course, Goliath backwards. He is a reverse Goliath. Right, very evil. So I guess the idea is, um, so one, the villain that's created him, so it's um, Dr. Savarius, voiced by Tim Curry. And he's, you know, kind of like that evil geneticist. He's the one who uh, has a hand, he has a hand in Z- with Xanatos and mutating Elise's brother. And yeah, he's the one, they um, kind of create Thalog. They give him a lot of knowledge and I think they want to give him like Xanatos' slant on things. So it's sort of like, He's, you know, Goliath, but his thinking is like Xanatos on crack. Yeah, they've corrupted him. Yeah. Yeah, I, but I, getting sort of just to that world tour concept in general, like, they, they're all, they've already dipped kind of a toe into this idea of, like, all the mythological things you know are real. And here they just sort of dive in. You're like, yeah, like, let's go. Let's go to all these different parts of the world and meet mythological pe- creatures and figures from other mythologies. And it makes the it makes the world feel very alive and magical in a fun way, mm-hmm. um, you know. It just it adds a great texture to the show. That again, like that's this is something that just would not be. I can't think of any other show that does anything like this. Right. And then the other thing about it was that they did. There were a few episodes of that world tour where they did see that there were gargoyles in other countries too. Like they found them in um, London. The episode in London. MIA is a really good one. It's well animated. That's one where the Phoenix, that's a big Phoenix Gate one. And then they, they find gargoyles in Japan. And I think the other one is Guatemala. And they find gargoyles there? Mm-hmm. I think there's like four of them. It's like, that's, that was kind of the, uh, you know, environmental, like protect the rainforest episode. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, they got the, like, like we said with the gun episode, they did get socially conscious from time to time. Yeah, but uh, any other, I'm trying to think, any other major villains we haven't touched on or characters? Um, I kind of touched on Savarius a little bit. Isn't he only in like one episode? No, he's in a couple. Oh. He's, um, well, he, yeah, like I said, he's the one that's responsible for having Elise's brother mutated. Like he took him and some other humans and made these like gargoyle, you know, mutates. Um, He's the one who created Thalog. He shows up, he does show up in one world tour episode. He's the one who reveals to Angela that uh, Goliath is her biological father. 
Well, I mean, duh. <laughs> I mean, even when they they first meet her, like Elisa points out, like, oh, she looks a lot like Demona, but she has your coloring. And right. He says something just like the children belong to the entire clan. Entire like, clan, okay, right. But... They sort of have this like communal parenting type thing. So they don't really think about biology. So like even in the Paris episode, like Angela's trying to connect with him and she refers to him as his father. And she said, and he's like, hey, all like all the, all the clan are your parents. Like, yeah. She's not going to put up with that though. She's, she's pretty tough. No, she is. Yeah. She kind of has that. I, yeah, I liked her. She kind of has that naivete because she's, you know, was raised on a magical island by humans. But I mean, she, again, she adapts pretty fast and she's very intelligent and she has, and she definitely has, she has those badass qualities. There's one episode when she, you know, eventually gets to Manhattan. And of course the Lexington Broadway and Brooklyn are all like, you know, essentially they're all falling over themselves or competing for affections and they're practically sexually harassing her. And there's this one point where she's just like, enough. Like, she's not putting up with that shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, they haven't had any in a thousand years, and she's the only other female gargoyle, because they're not going near Demona. So, right. you know, I, who, who can blame them for being a little horned up by Angela? <laughs> right. Um, and suppose, although supposedly, um, from Greg Weissman has said that Lexington is gay, apparently, so. <laughs> oh, it's another one of these post hoc, you know, oh yeah, this character was right. gay, even though there was literally nothing in the show. To say he was gay, I'm just going to do that after the fact. It's like, you just, you don't. Like, <laughs> if you wanted to write a gay character, you could have written a gay character. Except you couldn't really do that in 1994 or 1995. And <laughs> a children's uh, cartoon. No, not so much. But I don't think you can retrofit him as gay. <laughs> um, <laughs> just because he's, you know, I, I don't know what. He's, he's not the manliest gargoyle, I guess. But I don't think that makes him gay. No. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, of course, but uh, it, it's just funny to me that th- this happens from time to time where, where a creator just tries to graft that on as a way of like, no, no, see, we were ahead of the curve. And it's like, no, you just made that up yesterday. All right. Uh, you mentioned Greg Weisman. He's uh, one of the producers. I think he doesn't actually write anything until season three when it became the Goliath Chronicles. No, he and- wasn't involved in that. Oh, interesting. I had read something else. No, I think that's when he kind of, they, I don't know what happened. I think around the time was when, was it Jeff Katzenberg that left uh, Disney? Yeah. And I think, yeah, because he had a lot of support and a lot of the whole thing with the world tours, they were going to build all these spinoffs. They kind of wanted to make Gargoyles sort of like, I guess like that Marvel superhero part of Disney. And then of course, once, um, I think they just lost a lot, they lost a lot of their supporters. And I guess whenever they went, the Goliath Chronicles, that's just that, like, they always say that doesn't count as canon, and it's it's not good. Like, like when you see, like, the first two seasons, like, that's why I didn't even bother, like, saying, oh, let's watch, you know, an episode of the Goliath Chronicles, because they're bad. Yeah, it's animated by a different house, too, so I don't think it looks mm-hmm. as good, either. Like, it's, it's not quite mm-hmm. right. It's just hard to do that. I think there was a hiatus, too, between seasons two and three. So it's just like, it's yeah. hard to pick and it was that on, momentum up. And also, it was, on, it was on network on a Saturday morning instead of syndication. I probably, like, watched a little of it at the time it was on. In, was it 96, 97, yeah. whenever it was? But it's not the same. And there was only, like, 13 episodes of it made. Whereas there was, like, I don't know, 60, 70 episodes of season, from seasons one and two. Right. But I know that they had, you know, at one point they definitely had bigger designs for it. They wanted to, yeah, like you said, spinoffs. Uh, they, there was, there's been talk of a live action movie forever. 
Uh, I know even in like they would have to get they would have to get Keith David to voice Goliath though if they do it. Well, you know he's still alive. Uh, You could do it, Um, and you know, would you want to do it all CGI? I think it would be cooler to try and do it with you know makeup to some degree. I think you know there's some things you would need CGI for, but. You know, even like they've, I know that they were getting scripts from various people in like 2018 and even 19. And I think at some point Jordan Peele submitted a a script. So, like, Hmm. they've, they've, it's, there's some hope, I guess, for this property to make a return. I know there's still love for it. I mean, that's why we're talking about it on this podcast. Um, Because you and I are not the only ones who still remember this show fondly. I think you can still find some Goliath. Or, I mean, a, a Gargoyles merch at, like, Hot Topic and stuff, too. Like, it's still out there. Um, there there's a lot of people who have a, a big soft spot for the show. Uh, what, what, why do you think it is that people still uh, are, are still uh, carrying a torch for this one long after it was canceled? Um, let's see. Prop, I think it was just, you know, it's that the storytelling. I think you can go back to it as an adult and enjoy it because you have all those references to King Arthur and Shakespeare and all the historical stuff. And I mean, it's just, it's the story. I think especially, and then of course, as you get older, I feel like that relationship between Goliath and Elisa is so strong. That sexual tension is there. And I don't know if like a young child really picks up on it as easily, but you know, if you're a teenager or an adult, you know, (laughs) Yeah, it's unmistakable for sure. I don't know that that's the part of the show that grabs me the most. I'm like, I don't, I don't need to see these, the, uh, this girl have sex with this cartoon monster. But, um, <laughs> but there is a Beauty and the Beast thing going on there for sure. Oh yeah, and, and they're definitely relying on that. And they, they kind of that poignancy of like, well, they can never be together because they're different species, and especially that episode in the mirror where like they're both gargoyles for just you know an afternoon. Um, there, there is some of that, like, oh, what, what could have been? All right, boy, enough. We're all glad to be back. It feels weird. Cool, but weird. I was just getting used to the clock tower. Oh, you love it here. We've got an incredible kitchen and an even better library. And so it begins. Gargoyles Chapter 2. Or is it 3? I've lost count. Things have come full circle. Somehow they always do. You know how I feel about you, right? How we both feel. Yes. Good. Welcome home, Goliath. But they have this sort of very just deep platonic relationship that is really compelling to watch. But I think all of the characters are so likable. And that's what makes it work. Like, you you really root for them, especially when, like, almost everyone around them is only using them. Right. I mean, you love the villains, too. I mean, I think there's something about in shows now, even, like, shows like something like, I guess an example would be Darkwing Duck, where the some of those villains are really a little more one-dimensional, a um, like Gargoyle. But Gargoyles <laughs> definitely those um, villains are so complex. Like Xanatos really is like a f- real, you know, as 
sleazy as he is, I mean, he's a real human being. I mean, he gets married and he has a child. And I mean, there's something about him that's just, he's like a real person. And Demona's as complex as she is. You didn't get a lot of, you definitely didn't get complex female supervillains back then. No, so. um, but we, we've, you know, jokingly compared this to Ninja Turtles a bunch. But Ninja Turtles never has this level of emotional complexity for any of its characters. No. Um, and no. this show is all about that. Part of that's the serialized nature of the storytelling. But again, it, yeah, it imbues all of these characters with so many um, dimensions and facets to them that it, it's really kind of incredible. Like, I don't know that there's anything else that's been on for kids lately that quite approaches this this tone and this maturity um it's it's pretty unique in that regard almost everything today is way more just like it's brightly colored and it's sort of uh, pop culture-y and snarky and fun um but i you know i would love to see another show just sort of just go take a straight ahead approach to something like this absolutely uh, all right. Uh, Aim. Any other uh, final thoughts on gargoyles before we bring this to a close? Um, I don't think so. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I, I appreciate you coming on. Of course, as always, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Some admin things before we go. Uh, as always, if you have feedback, tweet them to at nostalgiumpod on Twitter or find us at Instagram and. Please do follow Nostalgium Arcanum on Instagram because, uh, as I mentioned in the last two episodes, I'm now posting bonus reels, just, uh, just a little extra bonus content to go with each episode once a week. Uh, it'll be in the middle of the week. You'll see that. So uh, there's already ones up for all of the episodes from Rugrats forward. So go and subscribe and look for those. And, of course, tell us what you think. You know, if you have thoughts on this episode and our last few on Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead or the Beatles, uh, Rugrats, or any on our upcoming episodes, which include Adventures in Babysitting and Homestar Runner uh, and uh, others, uh, let us know. And uh, if, of course, you like the show, please tell a friend and, of course, subscribe and drop us a review on iTunes or uh, Podcast Addict or wherever you found it. That helps us out a bunch. So, uh, Amy, thanks so much again for, for bringing Gargoyles back to into my attention. I had not watched this in a long time, and this was a real treat. Oh, you're welcome, and I hope to be back again, whether it's, you know, more 90s cartoons or even something that's not animation. <laughs> okay. Well, you get to pick. Whatever it is, uh, you pick next time. So uh, we can do something okay. that is decidedly not the cartoon. So, uh, All right, uh, so that'll do it for this episode, and uh, until next time, that is one more entry in the Nostalgia Arcana.